Welcome to episode 14 of the Analytics FC podcast. I'm joined as always by Tom Warville. And today our guest is Allison McCann from 538, who we're having on to talk about a lot of things. I think the most exciting of which is the new 538 basketball player evaluation tool called Carmelo. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Tom? Just explain what it is before we get Allison on. Yeah, um, first of all, uh, happy World Stats Day, Sam. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so Carmelo is a really interesting model, essentially used um, to project the careers of all of the uh, NBA players currently playing in the NBA uh, over the next, I think, seven or eight seasons. Um, looking back previously, uh, their previous three seasons of data, and then projecting forward um, using something called comps, uh, which we've used previously, we spoke about in, bas- in baseball, sorry, um, essentially players that are like similar to them. So essentially you have Steph Curry, who's one of the biggest players in uh, the NBA right now, will be compared to, say, Michael Jordan, because that's the sort of impact he's having on, uh, having at the Golden State Warriors currently. Um, and then you have all similar players around him, um, which, you know, his career could be brilliant like Jordan's and go off to do amazing things, or it could be sort of an average and flat line from the season onwards. So it's just sort of a look at how these players are going to perform this year, potentially, uh, and then also going forward, what their career projection is going to look like. So really, really cool and something that, you know, if you could forecast the careers of footballers in a similar way, uh, will be a really interesting tool both for teams and sort of in the media as well. Yeah, and another thing that's really cool about Carmelo is just the way it looks. Like, if you go onto this website, it's really easy to use. You can it it shows like the actual uh, projection of the players in terms of wins above replacement, and then it shows the percentiles of um, like of each sort of skill, I guess, which is really cool. So it's really the other thing I want to talk about is just I think the visual of it, which is as cool as the maybe not as cool, <laughs> but almost as cool as the idea of the projection itself. Absolutely, and in terms of like the visualization, it's always nice when you know when you're using percentiles instead of raw figures, just so you can uh, you know you can judge two players together off the number of I don't know the three free throw percentage, um, you know versus say in football we'll say this player had X key passes, this player had Y, but that doesn't really tell us much, you know, in, in sort of the overall context of the thing. Whereas, you know, something like the quartile or percentile does that a lot better. I feel so. Yeah, really, really cool thing. Um, let's get Alison on. Alison's with us now. Um, Alison McCann from 538. How about you uh, introduce yourself? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm a visual journalist at 538. It's the data news site um, started by Nate Silver. We're owned by ESPN, so we do a lot of sports. Uh, not as much soccer or football, as you guys say, but um, some some soccer and lots of other sports, but also politics and lifestyle and things like that, but everything around data. Now, over the last, I'd say, two weeks, the big thing at 538 has been Carmelo, which is a uh, basketball player projection system that you have up at 538. Now, you know you were, it was between you and Nate Silver who were the heads behind this idea. Can you just talk a little bit about it, what it is, and if you think these ideas could ever be applied to soccer? Sure, yeah. So, um, Carmelo is sort of in honor of the player, but um, also stands for, I believe it's a career arc regression model with local optimization or something crazy. But basically it um, tries to find similar players throughout NBA history and use their careers to forecast a current player in the NBA's future. Um, And so Nate really got his start, I guess, in 
um, sort of data and analytics with Pocota, which um, was the first system for baseball um, to forecast the careers of baseball players. And I think for a long time, he's been wanting to do this, um, something similar for the NBA. And, um, I, you know, it's probably crazy to hear, but the NBA is much of a newer league as, as compared to, you know, Major League Baseball in the U.S. So I think he wanted to have, you know, being able to look back on 40 and 50 years of, of NBA players to be able to do um, this modeling. And so he was all on the uh, projection side of things. And I was worked a lot much, uh, a lot more on the visualization side of things. It's a big um, sort of giant data visualization of looking at uh, a player's wins above replacement projection, which are these nice sort of uh, line charts into the future. But uh, I guess with confidence intervals around the projection, because obviously there's some uncertainty with anything where you're projecting into the future. And then um, comparing that to these, you know, we only showed 10 players, uh, 10 comparable players, but actually the model um, compares to any historical player um, that uh, a player is compared to. So even though we only showed 10, there's way more that goes into their projection. Um, and as far as how, yeah, I guess how this could be applied to soccer, I think the fact that, uh, I mean, yes, I hope that any sort of like player comparison is a really interesting way to um, project future players. And I think having lots and lots of historical data is really crucial to these sorts of models. And so I think for, especially for something like women's soccer that is much newer, you're not going to have a Carmelo system for a while. Um, maybe even the MLS here in the U.S. needs 10 more years uh, of players and seeing how their sort of careers last. Um, but probably in over in, you know, the U.K., you guys could start doing something like this where you have, you know, 50 years of historical player data. And in terms of media reception, how has this gone down ahead of the new NBA season? Um, I think it's been pretty good. You know, it's, it's these sorts of things are funny because obviously you're projecting how a player will do. And a huge thing with that is just age. Like as people age, they will get worse. And so everybody's future besides the rookies, like looks pretty grim, you know, it's like, so a lot of people have been like, Hey, like, can't believe you're going to count out, you know, so-and-so one of the Knicks beat writers had like interviewed Carmelo Anthony and was like, Oh, uh, like the new 538 projection system says that, uh, you're actually like going to get, you know, really bad in the next five years. And so that was interesting just to be using this model to the actual player and be like, what do you have to say f for these statistics? And I think he was like, don't count me out yet. But um, yeah, it's been I think people have been really excited to have uh, something similar to what we have with baseball um, for the NBA. And you said a lot of your work was on the visualization side. And one thing that I've noticed is that it like looks really cool. It's really easy to use. You can play around with it and it's easy to find sort of, I mean, the comps are really easy because you can click on the other players and it just like, it looks really nice. So I'm curious what sort of ideas you took into account when you were setting up the display. Yeah, sure. This was um, like a really hard project. I will say we spent a lot of time on this because it's a, a ton of information to convey um, and you also don't want to overwhelm people um, with too many stats but also this is you know it's crucial in showing like how we made these projections like involves a lot of things um, so yeah there was sort of that visual hierarchy of the left side of it is this player card and these you know statistics about a current player you know their height and their weight how they're shooting how they're rebounding um, but that's sort of the background because what you're more interested in is that right side, which is showing you 
their projection curve. Um, and something that I really focused on was mimicking those like the little mini spark lines um, as closely as possible to the big projection chart because I wanted that relationship to be clear that these small charts are, you know, the basis for that big chart above it. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of decision making and showing how many comparable players should we show. We could have shown 10, 20, 50, 100. But um, I think this this version for now is good. And if people want to see more, maybe that's something that we'll add. Um, yeah, so uh, there is a lot. But I think also adding those percentile dots to sort of give you a, at a glance if someone is, you know, bad, average, or good at any given sort of thing in the NBA uh, was, was really helpful too. But it's nice to hear that you thought it was easy to, uh, to get around because I, I wasn't sure it would be so easy for people to, to understand this. So focusing more on your role as a visual journalist, there are obviously parallels between what people do in teams in terms of showing visualizations to uh, coaches and players um, and what you do with 538 and sort of showing data to you know, the website, like with Carmelo and things like that. Um, what are the sort of key crossovers between being a visual journalist and also using these visualizations to, you know, relay a message to players and coaches? Yeah, I mean, I would, I haven't heard much, I guess, about individual teams having sort of like a team visualizer, but that would be amazing if they did. I know um, lots of, especially here in the US, the NBA teams are employing sort of data scientists to look at you know, what sorts of things is our team doing well and not so well. But um, that would be, I think, really valuable if those types of people were also visualizing that data in a way that was easily understandable. I think something like Carmelo with a, you know, just a simple line curve with confidence intervals is something that is much easier to understand than saying, oh, well, this is their projected war for the next 10 years. You know, that starts to get complicated. So, um, yeah, I haven't, I don't know a ton about people using visualizations with teams, but I think it would be something that would be tremendously helpful. Moving on to some of the other things you've done at 538, I know you are heavily involved with the Women's World Cup coverage, and I don't know, did you work at all in the projection model there? Yeah, I did a lot of the data gathering for this, um, because this was I think, to to our knowledge, the first ever uh, projection of a major women's soccer tournament. Um, so we sort of had to start from scratch. So I helped put together a database. I think it was about 8,000 international women's soccer um, back to 1971. Uh, that was as many as we could find at ESPN. And we used these to basically develop a set of women's national teams ratings. Um, we called it the Women's Soccer Power Index. Um, and these were used to power the projections for the 2015 World Cup. So it was a really actually pretty simple model. You know, we did a model for the Men's World Cup, which was much more nuanced, had player data, had where teams traveled and things like that. Um, but for the Women's World Cup, we were had nothing to start with and it was something we really wanted to do. So we were like, what is the, you know, the simplest version of this model that we can realistically put together in time for the tournament? So um, and yeah, and it did really well. Uh, obviously, we we had projected the U.S. to win, which maybe wasn't too surprising, but we had projected them just barely over Germany. I think it was 28 percent to 27 percent. Um, so it was close. And yeah, it was it was really fun for us to just see um, how a new model would work and the types of things we would have obviously loved to add that we couldn't. Um, but maybe the next time in time for the Olympics, we'll be able to put some some more bells and whistles into this model. 
I find it interesting that you talk about the differences between the data available in the Men's World Cup model and the Women's World Cup model, because you guys, I don't want to be rude, but you got kind of, uh, there was some criticism of the Men's World Cup model you had, and obviously you had Brazil with a much higher, I think it was 40% chance of winning or something. And with the Women's World Cup, I saw a lot more positive comments about the model. And I think, do you think that just comes down to the way the results went that you got, I guess, I mean, it's a prob- it's a probabilistic calculation. You just got it right with the U.S. or it just went that way and it didn't with the men's? Or is there something else that you think differed between the two models? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're the only one doing a projection for the Women's World Cup, the, the response will definitely be much nicer uh, because nobody else has anything to compare you to. Um, the Men's World Cup, there was tons of people doing doing models and projections for that. And um, yeah, we had predicted picked Brazil with this huge margin and everyone knows how, how that ended up for Brazil. So there was a lot of flack to that. And it is interesting to note that something, you know, perhaps these simpler models, like that's something I think Nate talks about a lot in his writing is that like, you know, some of the most simplistic models perform as well as these ones where you're adding everything. I think Carmelo is a testament to that too, of like, um, it's, pretty simple in its idea and obviously gets more complicated when you're looking at these, you know, plus minus and the individual stats, but the idea um, is is much simpler and same with the Women's World Cup model. It only had, you know, a win or a loss and where that was and if it was home or away. Um, and yeah, the, the Men's World Cup was much more difficult because you do have all these uh, player stats available and how to use them and how to account for injuries and things that we just didn't even do uh, in the Women's World Cup. So, yeah, uh, uh, and and we weren't really um, – Nate had made that model for the Men's World Cup, I think, back in – for the last one, um, and ESPN now runs that. It's called the Soccer Power Index. So um, I think, at, at least for me, I was much less involved with that and how things were made. And, um, yeah, so I guess I'm taking all the credit for the Women's World Cup and, and none of the blame for the Men's World Cup. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> And for sort of soccer in general, oh, I use the word soccer, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> sorry, football yes. in general. <laughs> um, obviously, you have like the um, NWSL in the States and the FA Women's Premier League over here in the UK. Um, um, have you ever seen anyone use any of that data or if there is any data for that in any interesting ways? Because obviously, there's a massive load of uh, sort of men's um, football analysis. Nelly said it again. Um, but in terms of women's, we don't really see that much. Do you think that's more down to like not enough data available or it's just the work's not really being done in that area? Yeah, I mean, I think we're starting to definitely see more come. It's just, it's kind of really spread out and in these, you know, strange pockets of people's blogs or sort of passion projects and not in these huge, you know, centralized databases that we are, you know, so used to seeing for um, for men's sports, like, and here we have basketballreference.com and you can literally go on that and see every single stat for every player for every game that's ever been played in the NBA. And we just, yeah, we don't have that types of things, especially for the NWSL that's been around for three years. And I don't think anyone kept any of the data from the previous two leagues. So it's just a lot harder. And I don't think that's an excuse for not doing it um, because there are some really great people that are doing smart stuff with data um, Opta is tracking some games. I know you guys had Devin on before. He's written some really nice pieces. 
Um, I think it's just that if you want to write a data story with women's soccer, the chances are that you are going to be compiling the data yourself. Um, and that's a lot more work. Uh, so I think people that are writing or on deadlines and things, um, <clears throat> you know, just know that it's it's going to take longer. But um, yeah, there's lots of people, Chris Henderson, Ken.com, who's doing some NWSL stats. Um, just the other day, someone like tweeted at me this really great uh, core diagram that was showing the transfers or I guess the loans for the NWSL offseason like where players were going to play and that was like a person I'd never seen before and just had been like hey like uh, look what I did and so there's definitely people that are out there that are compiling this data it's just not in this one big shared space so I think that's something that we can all get better at if we are um, you know compiling women's soccer data to just like let other people know that we are and that we have what we have and stuff. And given, like, say, you were giving a data set of, say, the past five years of women's soccer data, is there anything that you have, like, a burning desire to look at in terms of that? Because obviously you have stuff you have to do at 538, but is there any sort of area of research yourself where you're like, hmm, I want to check out whether, you know, the women's game's changing or whether there's a massive difference in shots versus the men's game? Anything sort of like that? Oh, yeah. That's such a good question. Um... Yeah, I think this, like, thing that is, like, such a, I don't know, misnomer for women's sports that they don't, like, flop as much or that there aren't as many fouls in women's soccer. Like, I would love to see data on that because I'm not sure that's totally true. I think uh, maybe it's maybe it's not as rampant and is in the men's game, but um, I also think there's a lot of interesting stuff with crossing. And we've ran a few pieces about how some of the best men's players, like uh, Messi and stuff, cross like a lot less than uh, the average men's soccer player and I wonder if that that sort of thing is true in the women's game I feel like um, crossing is is less valuable when you have smaller people to put their head on the <laughs> ball and things like that so totally I, would, I think there's tons of questions and um, sort of differences between the men's and women's game that like would just be so interesting to explore so hopefully um, I think there was actually a lot of data from that came from the Women's World Cup, and I think next year with the Olympics, there will be too. So I think we just need like a few more years to be able to, to say anything, um, you know, really interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for, for next year. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but uh, <laughs> I know that on the uh, 538 podcast, you give a significant digit. And today, which I only just found out recently, by recently, I mean, Tom told me at the start of the podcast, but uh, it's World Stats Day. Yeah. So in honor of World Stats Day, do you have a significant digit for us this week? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm on the podcast today, and I have one oh, you don't, that. You, know, you don't have to ruin that one. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like cheating. Um, let me see. I want to have something good. I also, I thought you were going to say we, like, I used some... I think it, someone had sent it to me like, oh, hey, check this out. It was like an interesting soccer stat. So I brought it on and then it was like from whoscored.com, <laughs> which is like apparently like the shiestiest site um, that no one had ever. I don't know. I just I don't know how that had not made its way, at least into. I mean, I'm much more plugged into the women's soccer data community. And like all these people were like, I can't believe you used who scored. So we had to like sort of run like a disclaimer the next week. And I was like, I apologize. I wasn't aware. Um so, yeah, I guess maybe that's my significant addition. One fuck-up so far. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm sure I have a lot more times. But I think that just goes to show, like, if, you know, people have good, interesting data sets, like, 
tell people, share with people or else like I'm just going to be, you know, Googling around, like looking for soccer stats and found who, who scored. And I was like, oh, this looks legit. And I sent some emails to them. They were like, yeah, here's our data. And then, you know, lo and behold, everyone that was like, no, they don't tell you how they make these ratings. Like, so, um, yeah, just people being like, you know, really upfront about uh, where data comes from is, you know, even something that I need to, to, to be better at. <laughs> And who scored, if you're listening, we will still accept you as a sponsor. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we've said worse things about who scored on the show before. So Okay, well, you can edit that out if you need to. Um, but, and, and I think it, like, you can still use things like who scored if you just have these sorts of caveats. Like, hey, we're not, you know, this, this data came from here. It only uses this. Like, uh, I think sort of you can use any data you'd like if you are just really upfront about um, sort of what goes into it and that's something that we do with all of our, our women's sports data and saying hey this is a much simpler model this is a much simpler data set and people seem to have a really good response to that you were saying uh, people weren't as hard hard on us uh, for the women's world cup and I think if you are clear about yeah how, how you did the analysis people are much kinder I think when people understand where number is coming from they'll be much more open to accepting it and not just being told, okay, this number is relevant, like the who scored ratings do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, anything you want to plug, Alison, before uh, we let you get back to the rival sports analytics podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I don't know. I'm just curious what you guys think sort of the, the state of analytics are in soccer. I know you had a lot of questions about Carmelo and if that sort of thing um, could work in soccer, but I think you probably both have a better sense of where sort of soccer analytics are right now and, and where you think things are headed or how far we are from having a model like Pocota and Carmelo and these ones that we have for the giant men's leagues here. But so, yeah, well, I don't know what, what you guys think about that. Um, Sam, I'll go first. Uh, Great question. Um, essentially, we probably all agree that sort of Pakota or something like that from basketball, uh, baseball, is so hard to implement just because of the nature of the games. Um, totally. But with you know with Carmelo, it would be really awesome to see, and we probably see it anyway on a very basic level when people create something called an age curve, which is essentially plotting the amount of minutes a player plays and what age he is. Um, mm -hmm. So you can sort of get in general his level of fitness and how you know how many minutes he can play per season. Or, he slash she can play per season. Um, it's just in terms of how we actually quantify how good a, a different playing position is um, and whether you can sort of, uh, you know, look at that level, say, with wins above replacement like you have in basketball, it works really well because, you know, you can incorporate things like real plus minus or these other really quite advanced metrics, but you they are sort of, you know, you understand the game with basketball so much more than we probably understand football right now. You know, I couldn't tell you who a good centre-back is uh, in football, because if you're just counting tackles and deceptions, that's not just you know that doesn't make a good defender. Um, and equally, you know you want to know things around positioning, but there's no data for that yet. So I think we're in the very you know s basic stages of sort of understanding the game before we can even start creating these analytical models that give us the answers like you have in basketball and baseball. Um, and I think the state of analytics in general is quite interesting right now because I feel it's quite static with quite a few of the big um, sort of thinkers in the area being pulled up by clubs. Um, so the sort of writing the area is a lot of new people starting out, which is excellent. But then equally, you, you have a lot less of the peer review from people who've 
been there and done that in like a year or two years before you've started writing to really like knuckle down your ideas. So um, it's not exactly in limbo, but it's like an interesting stage where we're still understanding the game and we're still building the analytics area, but it's just sort of a bit slow currently. Um, Sam, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I think we're pretty far away from a public Carmelo equivalent in football. Like, I don't think we're going to get something that's, well, as you said, I mean, you could go on basketball referencing or baseball reference and get so much data that's publicly available and is good quality data. I think if you had football data from 20 years ago, the accuracy of that, I would question. And the actual like quality of the data itself is probably iffy at best. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think like... I I use that crutch a lot too, and that like the nature of the game, which I sometimes feel like is a cop out, and especially now that we've done something with basketball, which like you said, obviously has five players and their positions are a lot more clearly defined than in something like soccer. But um, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if if it becomes a little bit of a crutch. We're just like soccer is so crazy, like you know, like so players are so interesting, you know, like I don't know. I just I think if we could get start to get. Even something like you said, yeah, okay, center back does tackles and headers and something, and we just have, like, three stats for them, and we start with that, you know, and, it, and it's not going to give us the clearest picture of how good a center back is, of course, but um, I don't know. I would like to see more sort of concrete stats in soccer, you know, knowing that these are great and they're very rudimentary, or aren't great and, you know, very rudimentary, but um, I don't know, to, to sort of help us get in that trajectory. Having said that, if 538 want to buy my uh, Ronaldo rating system, they're more than willing to <laughs> take it. Oh, you'd have to come up with a better player than Ronaldo's name, your rating system, after. I was feel a little more obscure. I was going to go for Zlatano. No, that's good. Zlatano. But I'll, yeah. Zlatano. That's a good one, too. Yeah, and then you have to backronym it, is like what we did, basically. Like, you picked a person, and then they, like, made the acronym from it. <laughs> That is a fantastic verb, backronym. <laughs> backronym yeah. is so good. Oh, cool. Um, sweet. Uh, anything? So I guess you want to plug Carmelo. Uh, we'll put a link in the description for people to check out, and uh, you can share it straight to Twitter, I think, as well, which is quite a cool thing. Um, cool. So, yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Alison. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. It was really nice to meet you guys. <laughs>